see we're on a mission from God. Amanda Qureshi, also known as Q. And today's guest is someone very special to me. This is somebody that I actually worked for for four years. Yes, she was my boss, but now she's retired. She actually just retired in October of last year. And, uh, but we, you know, in the time that I worked for her, had such amazing conversations that I knew she had to be a guest on the podcast. So please welcome Karen Strong. Hi, Karen. Hi, Q. Good to hear from you again. I know. You know, I really, I mean, I know you're still around, but it's just not the same. And I, and also because, you know, we've been working from home for so long. I remember all the time that I would spend just kind of sitting in your office and having conversations about work and then other things too. And I just, I learned so much from you during those four years that we worked together. Well, thank you. You may want to verify some of that stuff you learned from me. (laughs) (laughs) No way. I trust you implicitly. (laughs) First mistake. (laughs) Okay, so before we jump into uh, all things Karen Strong, I'm going to break the ice with, uh, with three questions. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Number one is, what was the last thing you watched on television? (laughs) Well, I am a late comer to The Crown. Last night, I watched an episode of The Crown. I'm to the third season now. And I am not normally a big follower of the royals. That's, Uh That's not one of my things. But I am really enjoying The Crown because in the last few years, I've read several interesting books about the Winston Churchill and, you know, those kinds of times. And so this is fitting in nicely with that. So that's the last thing I watched. Yeah. Yeah. The, the production is really good. I haven't watched the whole thing. I think Janaid watched, you know, watched it and I just sort of had it on in the background. Um, the production is really good. And I think what's so interesting to your point is that it doesn't just talk about their family. It obviously it's in the context of world history, mm-hmm. you know, in the last, century so yeah well you know that I'm a a big fan of Eric Larson's books and his most recent book is The Vile and the Splendid and it takes one year and follows uh, the bombing of London and Winston Churchill and uh, all that occurred that year wow and so that is fresh on my mind. Um, I also read a, another book a few years ago that I really enjoyed that is written by Churchill's chauffeur or bodyguard or best man or whatever you want to call him. But he was the man who traveled with Churchill, drove him around, took him places, watched out for him. Wow. And his perspective on Churchill is, of course, very limited, but very different and very interesting. So. Wow. So yeah, the crown is fitting right in with that. Yeah, although I have to say um, th- that the books sound fantastic, but I'm a little disappointed that Eric Larson decided to steal the title of my autobiography, <laughs> The Vile and the Splendid. 
<laughs> you can still use it. Give really not fair. Title and go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So then uh, this is the perfect segue and possibly we may not be able to get off this topic, but what is the, the last book that you read? Oh, <laughs> well, I guess the last book I read was The Vile and the Splendid. Ah, okay, okay. Just talked about. So right, that, can you can you tell us another, what's the uh, the one before? Because you already, you know, we, are, we already know that. <laughs> okay, let's see. Well, as you know, I've been retiring and moving. So my reading has been truncated. Um, <laughs> I, I also read an interesting um, uh, book that had laid on my shelf. I, you know, I occasionally get more books than I can read and they stack up. Um, there was a really interesting book not too long ago called, uh, it's a Bob Goff book and it's something about reaching your dreams. And it, it was given to me by a friend as I retired. And the idea behind it is, I think the name of it's Dream Big is the name of it. And the idea behind it is you have to first know who you are and where you're going before you can dream big and reach your goals. So that, that was kind of an interesting thought process, especially as it occurred just when I was retiring and <laughs> selling my big house and moving into something smaller and making all manner of changes. So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think uh, combining those two topics, uh, you mentioned that part of your moving process was was all the books that you had collected over the years. You had tons of shelves in your old house. What did you end up doing with all those books? Well, I did a variety of things with them. Um, Yeah, a couple of years ago, my daughter was at my house and I was talking about the need to clean my house out and, you know, the overwhelming nature of it because I'd lived there 30 years. And as you note, I am a book collector and reader and Unfortunately or fortunately, that house had the most extraordinary number of bookshelves in it of any house I've ever been in. And I managed to fill up all of them. Wow. And so what I did was the, the only way I could tackle the move was to do it in bites, which has become my mantra for tackling any big thing is do it in bite sizes. So after I bought my smaller place, I would take my most favorite books to the new place on a trip. And then the next trip to my new place, I would take my next most favorite books. Wow. And then by the time I was ready to sell my house, I also donated a bunch of books to my church library. Mm -hmm. And I gave a bunch of my books to my friends that I knew would enjoy some of them. And by the time I was ready to move, the number of books in the house was greatly reduced. And uh, one entire bookshelf of books went to a theological school and another entire shelf of books went to uh, some friends who do homeschooling. Oh. So, and then the ones that were left, uh, I told them, just haul them off and give them to anybody you want. You know, nice. so. Even in retirement, you're, you're being strategic. I like that. 
Well, and since I've gotten into my new place, I bought the first, <laughs> this is ridiculous. First thing I bought was bookshelves. <laughs> you might have a problem. <laughs> I just realized that as I started to say it. That's really funny. So now I have some new bookshelves and I begin, I am beginning to collect new favorite books. So Excellent. we'll see how that goes. Excellent. Uh, I'll be sure to give you a signed copy of my version of the Vile and the Splendid as soon as it comes out. Okay. I'll count on it. <laughs> okay. All right. And the final icebreaker question, which you clearly don't need, is <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? Oh, <laughs> this morning I had two pieces of cinnamon toast and oh. green tea. Wow. You're living large, Karen Strong. Well, I, uh, I got up this morning and I thought, okay, I need to wake up and get moving because Q's going to ask me interesting questions and I need to have answers. So, Okay. Do you usually drink green tea? I thought you were a coffee drinker. I actually, for the last year, since, since the pandemic, yeah. I have almost exclusively had tea. Oh. Um, as you know, I was drinking tea in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the time, tea and coffee. And when the pandemic hit, I gravitated to tea and I have been drinking tea almost exclusively. In fact, I was noticing (laughs) that my coffee in my cabinet is old and I probably need to throw it out. Uh, But uh, I'm, I'm lately becoming fast addicted to uh, a tea that a mutual friend of ours recommended to me. It's Harney's, yeah, spicy cinnamon tea. Yes, yes, Yes. Harney and Sons, and they're, uh, yes, that tea is so good. Yes, so I've been really enjoying that lately. That that tea is so good, it's almost like just having a dessert. It is. Right? It is. It's it's just delightful. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Okay, excellent work on the icebreakers, Karen. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's um, just, I I would love for people, like there's no way people can get to know all of you in this, you know, one short podcast, but I'd love to start with from whence you've come, because I don't think a lot of people know much about West Texas and you are a person. And I think there's a lot of weird perceptions about people who come from places like West Texas. And so I would love for you to talk about where you grew up and how you ended up in Austin. And yeah, let's start there. Well, let's see, Uh, you know, biographical data tends to be pretty dull and boring, but I was born in Big Spring, Texas. And if you have in your head a mental picture of the map of Texas, you know, on the west or the left side of the state, there's that, that 90 degree angle mm-hmm. where you know it comes down and then goes west out to El Paso and Big Spring is just you know not too many miles just in from that corner and so it's it's located on Interstate 20 it's about halfway between Dallas Fort Worth and El Paso it's West Texas it's ranchers and oil patch Um, Permian Basin oil field is out there. And so uh, my dad worked in the oil field when I was growing up. I grew up there, went to high school there, graduated there. 
the years when I was growing up there, there was an Air Force base in oh. town. And so there was, uh, you know, the influence of the military in the town. So you get a combination of West Texas rancher, uh, oil field, and military. And Big Spring is right at the foot of the escarpment, which means, you know, the high plains in the panhandle begin to break off there and it gets hilly. Big Spring is hilly, which is rare for West Texas. And um, so once I graduated, I chose to go to Abilene Christian, which is 110 miles from Big Spring. I, you know, launched off on my own and uh, went 110 miles, but it seemed like it was the other side of the world to me. Uh Um, Attended Abilene Christian, uh, mass communications degree, minors in psychology and Bible, um, met my future husband there, Uh uh, graduated, married, moved with him to Dallas, and Shortly after we married, I realized I didn't have anything to do because he had a job and I didn't. Uh-huh. So I went to graduate school oh. and I went to University of North Texas. Back then it was North Texas State University. Uh, and by the way, when I went to Abilene Christian, it was Abilene Christian College oh. and later changed to Abilene Christian University. And North Texas State University later changed to University of North Texas I used to joke that everyone who'd given me a degree later changed their names to protect themselves. <laughs> anyway, um, so after we lived in Dallas for a few years and I got a master's degree, my husband, uh, his long range plan was to go to law school. So he applied, got into UT and we moved to Austin in, and this, you know, this will tell you that I'm very old, but since you know that I've retired, you probably guess that I'm old anyway, but we moved to Austin in 1975 for him to go to law school. And um, we thought we would be in Austin three years for law school and then be back in Dallas because he was a CPA and this law degree on top of it, we thought, that CPA attorneys would, you know, have better opportunities in Dallas or Houston, and we didn't want to live in Houston. So uh, much to our surprise, when he graduated, his best offer was from a law firm in Austin, which never happens. Most graduates of UT want to stay in Austin and can't find a job there, but we weren't looking and he found one and we ended up living in Austin for decades and raising our children there. And uh, that's where I met you. Okay. So I'm trying to imagine little Karen Strong growing Uh, up in Big Spring, Texas. What was it that made you choose mass comms as your degree when you went to Abilene? Well, you know, as you've noted, I've always loved books. Mm. I love language. I'm fascinated by the conveyance of ideas. Um, I am at heart a student. I love learning new things. And next to loving learning new things, I love second place is I love sharing the new things I learn. So it seemed to me to be a, a logical step 
to study communication and how to do it well. And Abilene Christian at the time had one of the foremost authorities on communications theory on their faculty. Wow. And he was, he was a brilliant man and just absolutely riveting. His class lectures were awesome. And he awoke in me an interest in the inner workings of the communications process. Just how do you, from one mind, convey an idea accurately, there's the <laughs> right. question, to another mind. And it's an interesting thing. And that's, that's part of the reason my, my minor, one of my minors was in psychology, because there's so much psychology bound up in the way that that works. And so it was a combination of a natural inclination and then a really good professor on hand. Wow. So this is, uh, I mean, this makes sense. One of the things, probably maybe even the, the biggest thing that I learned from you is, I don't know if it's, I, 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 here's, here's my guess. My guess is that it's your natural disposition your West Texas uh, upbringing that's kind of baked into you and just years of being seasoned in communications, but you're really good at not, at at communicating in a way that's not reactive, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're very good at, you know, taking something in uh, and assessing it and controlling your own response so that you can pick it apart and and I don't want to say logical because that makes you sound cold. You're not a cold person, but you're very strategic in the way that you respond to things. And that has been such a boon for me, especially nowadays in the, you know, in the world of digital, where it's almost encouraged, like the, just the, the mediums themselves encourage reactivity. So watching you do that, even in high stress situations, you know, was incredible for me. I would love to bottle some of that, <laughs> some of that skill, some of that uh, whatever you have, and figure out a way to distribute it because I do feel like we're getting ourselves in a major, you know, pickle right now with the fact that now that we have social media, we're all mass communicators, but very few people are actually trained in mass communications, in that theory and understanding how it impacts others in the world. And I feel like it's almost like we're babies playing with this, with a firearm, (laughs) right? Like there's power in mass communications and we're all just out there, you know, waving it around. So if you could give any advice to, you know, to the planet, I guess, at this point about (laughs) how to engage in public online platforms in a way that is strategic, what would you say? Well, that's obviously a big question and there are lots and lots of answers to it. One of the things that is important in the communications process is to really understand what the other person said. And you know that we are audience to people who say things and other people who react and they misunderstood what was said 
And then it just spirals down from there. So one of the very first principles of good communication is to really understand what the other person just said. And that is not necessarily just accurately hearing the words, the subtexts of communications and the motivations behind communications and the desired end game of someone's communications, all of those things really need to be taken into consideration before you reply. And, and then, you know, of course, you know, you have to examine yourself. You have to know what your own motivations are and what your end game is, because if you are seeking to accomplish something, you have to be sure that you don't get drawn off of your goal, mm. your purpose. And, uh, you know, that is so easy to happen. And, you know, you're mentioning social media. It is so easy to react emotionally. And there seems to be some idea that there's a premium on speed of reply, which, you know, works against us. In order to communicate well, you really do have to slow down and pay attention to what you're doing. Because as you said, it's like having a firearm in your hand. It's like having a stick of dynamite. You really have a powerful tool and you just need to be smart about how you use it, which you know, we, we're not seeing a lot of lately. But it, but it does take a good bit of thought. And so, you know, it's always smart to just you know, you've always heard, you know, when you're angry, count to 10 before you say anything. Well, you know, that's probably a good rule of thumb for anybody who's communicating in any context. You know, count to 10 and think about what it is that's going on here. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting times. I really like your analogy about, you know, the, having something so powerful at hand, because I think that's the root of what we're seeing going on around us now. And it's, it's, it's fascinating times. <laughs> we all have a front row seat to some really interesting communications examples, good and bad. So can you talk a little bit about what it is that makes mass communications different than interpersonal communications? I mean, you know, from, from, both a theoretical standpoint, but also just in practice. I think that's what, that's part of what the issue is, is that, you know, social media makes it, makes it feel like we're all having interpersonal conversations, right? Like we're, you know, and, and even the, the way that it's um, structured and, and the terminology that we use, you know, be my Facebook friend or whatever, it makes it seem like you're just having these personal conversations, but in reality, you're, you're speaking in a very big and very public way, more than anyone would have done. Like I can post something on Facebook and, you know, 500 people are going to see it within a couple minutes. So that's way more, even in that small way, and I'm not even a big, like influential person, that's way more power than, um, than the average person ever had to reach others for most of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, part of the difference from interpersonal communications and mass communications is the interplay of the audience. 
Um, let me see if I can think of a good way to illustrate this. When, when I talk to you, Q, I am speaking directly to you. I know you. I have a suspicion of how you will react to certain kinds of things. And if I'm a good communicator, I will tailor my communications to you. I will use arguments that will work with you. I will use words that will work with you. I'll avoid words that might distract you in any way. I will communicate directly to you and it will be a custom communication. Hmm. <laughs> a long, long time ago when my kids were middle school age, one of the church ladies called me on the phone and I talked with her and I hung up and my son observed, you know, mom, I can tell who you're talking to just by hearing your side of the conversation, wow. even if I don't know the name of the, if you never say the name of the person. Wow. And I said, what do you mean by that? Uh, because in our household, it was all about teaching and learning all of the time and communicating. And so, you know, I'm seeing this as a teachable moment. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you just talk differently when you talk to the church ladies. He says, I don't know which one of them you were talking to, but you were talking to a church lady. And I, and my first reaction was to be offended because when he first said that, I thought, oh, he's accusing me of being fake. Mm. And so I asked him more questions and it turned out that he was talking about just the thing that I just described. He was talking about the fact that I adjust my communication to my audience. I adjust how I talk and what I say to who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And he was hearing that. And once, once I realized what he was saying, well, then I wasn't offended because well, yeah, you know, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. That's a skillful communicator who, you know, knows their audience and communicates clearly. The, the difference between that and mass communication is, is pretty obvious at this point, because in mass communication, you're talking to a group of people and you're talking to a group of unknown people and you're talking to a group of people that have vastly varying perspectives. Right. So mass communication has to be a totally different animal and operate by different rules. And you're right, in social media, all of that gets blurred. Um, you know, there are, in, in mass communications, you have to use techniques that talk to the whole of your audience. And that is no mean feat. I mean, that is, that is a challenge and takes a good bit of thought to do that well. And, you know, my approach has always been, you know, if, if you're faced with uncertainty about how to communicate, you say less. Mm -hmm. Because yes, yes. it's easier to go back and add than it is to correct something that was miscommunicated. I feel so like you should say that again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Because I really feel like that is true, really, really true. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's it's what's missing on, on social media. 
mass communication has to be seen as a, a conversation, not just shots fired off over the bow. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's got to be seen as an interchange of ideas, and that is you know part crystal ball, part intuition, part experience, part learning as you go. But mass communication is also complicated by the fact that the audience interacts with each other. Right. So for instance, I might say something directly to you when when you and I were working together, but I might never say that same thing in an open staff meeting. Mm -hmm. Because I would know that in an open staff meeting, there are many different individuals who are triggered by many different kinds of things. And so I would say less in an open staff meeting than I would say to you individually. Yep. And it's when you talk about mass communications, then you just multiply that a gazillion times. So mass communication is, is a very fascinating puzzle to solve. And you can't solve the next step until you see the reaction of the audience. You have to, you know, keep a finger on the pulse. You have to, to you know, in the classic communications theories models, you know, the feedback loop is really, really important. Right, right. So that, I, that's how I'd say they're different. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it just makes you realize how, I guess what it does is it, it clarifies how so much havoc has been <laughs> wreaked on our society in the last 10 years with this democratization of mass media, right? And mm-hmm. I think when you look at it from this perspective, it's suddenly not that, like, I, you know, people are, are always like throwing up their hands going, what, you know, what's happened? Well, it's not, it's not rocket science. You look at what is now you know, when they say a digital revolution, it was in fact a revolution. Everything has changed. And the, you know, the, the way that our society is set up and the way that we all evolved, like 90% of the planet was raised to communicate in a certain way. And now all the rules are changed and no wonder there's hijinks happening. (laughs) You know, I have long been a proponent of training young people to be intelligent consumers of media. Uh, It is not something that comes naturally to any of us, and it takes some training to know what to observe and what, how to react and on and on. You know, I think the digital revolution is, is not the only step in this, evolution Hmm. in Waxahachie, there is a Chautauqua auditorium and it was built in 1902 and it's a really interesting historical building, but it reminded me of things that I've observed before. When you read things that were written in just say the 1880s, um, they are very different. They are very 
thoughtful, thorough, uh, one might say slow, stodgy, (laughs) Uh boring, you know, but it's, it's an entirely different mindset. And, and that continued into the early part of the 1900s. And, and there are lots of pieces to that. The vocabulary is much more expansive. Mm. When you go back and read novels written, you know, in the industrial age and then at the turn of that century, the, the vocabulary is, is much better, much more descriptive, much more idea expanding. Mm-hmm. And as we moved into, you know, radio and television, we began to narrow our vocabulary to the common denominator. And we began to write for the eighth grade education level in our newspapers. We began to speak in simple language that everyone could understand on television. And our vocabulary narrowed and we lost the ability to express nuance in some cases. And so the change is a much longer change than just the digital revolution. Hmm. Um, then, Then you move forward a couple of decades, you get to cable television and you get to 24-hour news cycles, yeah. which created its own difficulties because there's not 24 hours a day fascinating news. So you have to come up with more. Right. And I would argue that what you come up with is, you know, substandard, but, you know, that's just me. But that had an effect on the way we communicate in this nation and Then came the digital revolution and headline news, by golly, where you don't even get the whole story. You just get the headline writer's take on what happened, which that combined with PowerPoints and, you know, bulleted lists. And then you get the digital revolution and the democratization and the use of mass media after we've narrowed our vocabulary and reduced ideas to headlines and it's a long evolution that we've been going through. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think is a bright spot in all of this, and I'm, I'm not just pandering to you, but I, I find that podcasts are a real bright spot in all of this because podcasts have found a way to further explore ideas again. Right. And that to me is a real encouragement. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I learn a lot from them. And as you know, my, my mode is to answer, to listen to the full spectrum of ideas. Mm-hmm. I seek out far left, far right, all in between because I think that's the only way you can be a a good consumer of media. But the podcasts, I think, are a real bright spot for us. Totally agree. And I truly believe, like, um, this is obviously unscientific, but my own anecdotal experience is that podcast people, that is people who listen to a lot of podcasts, are the best people. (laughs) 
And I mean that seriously, like my favorite people are people that love podcasts. And I think it's because they're people who enjoy depth and nuance uh, and, and learning. And that's what podcasts offer is, is uh, you know, you can't skim a podcast, right? right? You have to listen and, and as you're listening at normal talking speed, I guess people, some people speed it up, but as you're listening, you're also absorbing it and thinking it and it, it stimulates your creative mind, which is, which also helps you retain it more. Uh, And I, I could not agree with you more. I'm thrilled with the podcast renaissance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, learn all manner of things from podcasts. And uh, I find that I'm always recommending podcasts to people. So, uh, okay. Give us your, give us some top of your top recommendations. Oh, (laughs) well, um, (laughs) you know, I love history and I think I told you this before. One, one of the podcasts that I have really enjoyed is called the history of Rome. And it's, I mean, it's something like 200 podcasts that trace the entire history of Rome. Wow. And they're like 20 minutes a piece and they're bite size, you know, tackling that mammoth story. Um, but, you know, that is, that is a great podcast. Um, there's, there's one called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin that I really enjoy. Those are four hour podcasts. Uh, So I can't listen to a whole one in one sitting. I have to listen, you know, and then come back to it. I like This American Life. Mm -hmm. I like what's the Every Little Thing. Is that the name of it? That one is fun to listen to. Um, there's, There's one about brands. The household name brought to you by what that sounds amazing yeah that one that I think they I think just in the last few months they stopped doing it but they tell the story of of Sears and then they tell the story of how Westinghouse developed this that or the other technology and then they'll tell about uh, why Kmart died and uh, there's one about the Kellogg brothers and how the cereals were developed and wow. it, they're, they're brands, you know, and stories you don't is the subtitle to it. So oh that one's goodness. fun. I will be, um, I will be subscribing to that immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, raise your hand. Texas has started a new podcast called intersect ed, which is good. Nice. Um, there's NPR does, TED Radio Hour, hmm. which they invite speakers from TED Talks to share. I love Hidden Brain. Uh-huh. I listen to Hidden Brain all the time. Uh, so, you know, there's just, and Brene Brown has one called Unlocking Us. Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. Is it good? It is. Oh. It is good. So there's there's a lot of variety and, um, you know, and, and, as I said, you know, it fulfills my need to hear all sides because there are podcasts from all sides. Yeah. 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 Totally agree with that. Um, and I, I also really appreciate that that is something that you stick with as far as your, your ethos is concerned. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to ignore 
different opinions and ideas for whatever reason. And I completely agree with you that you cannot be an effective communicator in any context unless you're willing to look at the entire spectrum of ideas and the full experience of everybody who might be part of your audience. Yes, and I I have so many friends who have said to me in the last year or so, I've just stopped listening. Mm -hmm. I've just stopped watching the reading newspapers. I've gotten off Facebook. I've just quit doing blah, blah. And while I sympathize with that and I, I understand it, I think it is a an abandonment of our responsibility in a democratic society. Yeah. And now it is true that like you, I will occasionally take a break <laughs> and let my brain rest. <laughs> but, but I think we, we really need to be attentive to what's going on. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we are, we are in a country where each of us has a responsibility. And so we, we need to do right by that responsibility or I think we'll lose it. So, you know, as much as I would like to just quit listening some days, <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> so you're, you're, uh, you were working, you've worked in mass communications for how many, like what, what is your career span? Well, I graduated from college with my mass communications degree in 1973. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even before I had that degree, I was editor of the university newspaper. So I've I've been communicating since I was a teenager, basically. I, uh, I have really enjoyed working in communications in, in different areas. I've, as you know, worked for nonprofit organizations. I've worked for local governments. I had a communications consulting firm for a while where I worked with small businesses marketing their products. So it's, it's been interesting to get the opportunity to think about communications in those different contexts. Also, there's organizational communications bound up in that both when I worked at uh, the city of Austin and then later when I worked at nonprofit groups, there's a um, sometimes overlooked organizational communications aspect where you not only have to focus on the mission of your organization, you have to focus on the collected individuals who are carrying out that mission and figure out how to support them. Right. And organizational communications is, you know, one of my favorite areas because it's, it's, it's almost invisible to some people. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if it's done really well, it is sort of invisible. Yeah. But so you just retired in October. So I got to know, <laughs> how do you feel about this? Are you, are you, are you, is it relieved or do you miss it? Or, you know, what's, what's your, I can't even imagine retiring at this stage. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of sounds like a really nice fantasy. (laughs) Well, you know, I think, I think any person knows when it's time to retire. Uh, I think it, it becomes clear uh, to you. 
And I had been blessed to have so many good opportunities that I can never feel bad about, you know, the desire, the change to retire because I had such a long and and interesting career. The, The thing about communications, though, is that you don't have to have an organization to still be involved and interested in communications. And I can be on your podcast and do communications uh, as a retired person. But, but I think that there's a new phase for me. I think there's a, uh, an opportunity to do some reflective work and some uh, thoughtful assessment of what's going on. And so that's what I'm hoping to do next. Uh, I'm not planning to, to sit around and do nothing. I, I wouldn't be happy doing that. I can't even <laughs> imagine you sitting around and doing nothing. Um, but I, I, I hope, gosh, I just, knowing how my relationship with you has benefited me, I really hope there's this understanding I hope the, our larger society, you know, because America is very bad at, at valuing age and experience. And I, I feel like there are a lot of people who have been in these roles, who've seen transformation happen on every level of society and in every industry. And I feel like we need that wisdom desperately. We desperately need it right now because the people that are in charge, a lot of the people that are in charge and a lot of people that are making decisions, they're not, they're not doing a very good job. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I mean that, uh, I mean that as it sounds, it's, it's a, it's a critique. I think in some ways we've lost our, our North star. We're not doing what we need to do for the right reasons anymore. And I really feel like we need guidance and, uh, you know, as long as you'll have me in your life, I hope you'll be part of that for me because I, I have, even in four years, come to rely on it so much. And I just wish that, you know, I wish that this was something that was understood and acknowledged by a lot more of us in our society at large. Like everybody needs to take a step back and maybe start doing a little bit of, you know, we, we went so far so fast in the last few decades, maybe we need to stop and start to figure out what has happened and where we might have gone off track a little bit. Well, and I, I think that's happening. Um, you know, I run across a good many people younger than me who are very thoughtful and very interested in doing exactly what you just said. I have a lot of faith in people who come along behind me and take over and lead the way, um, you included, because I think there is a very deep understanding of how things need to be. And I think, you know, there are, are people a good bit younger than me who are stepping up and understanding things and beginning to speak up. And I, you know, I think part of my age group's responsibility is to successfully hand over the reins. 
And I, and I don't mean just walk away. I mean, successfully hand over the reins. I think it's, you know, it's, you know, the image of a relay race, you know, you hand off the baton. I think there is a tremendous opportunity to empower uh, young, bright, energetic people to do great things in our country. And so I'm very optimistic about the future. Well, that is, I, that is incredibly good news. Because I don't feel very optimistic, but I trust your opinion <laughs> on these matters uh, more than you know. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, um, uh, th- see, this is the this is the thing we we've been talking for almost an hour now, and um, we haven't even touched like half of what I wanted to talk with you about. And so, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I really I wanted to go into a lot more. I, I, I have another appointment that I have to go for. Otherwise, we would just keep going because you have you're a renaissance woman, right? Like you are very active in your faith community and you have a lot of fascinating uh, views around spirituality. Uh, you're a world traveler. You, you have a lot. So I want you to right now on the record, <laughs> promise that you'll come back <laughs> for another episode. <laughs> Please. Why, thank you. You flatter me. <laughs> oh, no. I mean it. I mean it. You have a, I, I, I could probably do a, uh, who's your, who's your four hour history podcast? Guy? <laughs> Dan Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Carlton podcast with you. So, um, <laughs> oh, I think that would test the stamina of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's do this again sometime. Okay. Promise. We will do okay. it again. Okay, uh, Karen, thank you for your time. I know you're still very busy and active doing consulting work and and, uh, getting settled into your new home. And so I'm grateful that you would take the time to talk to us and share your wisdom. And everybody should know the name Karen Strong because you've made a huge difference, at least in my world. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been an absolute joy to visit with you. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves.